Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, Rochelle and Michelle, for leading us. We have Rochelle and Michelle leading us in worship today. Awesome job. Um, I got to put on my jean jacket for the first time this morning, leaving my house at like 6.15 a.m., and it was glorious. Who's with me? Not only is it entrance into the best season ever, who's with me, fall, but I now have extra pockets I can use that like are only in my coat. It's like a new life when the fall season hits, and I absolutely love it. Um, I just wanted to mention again, be praying for our fall festival because we see it as a ministry event. I won't be preaching there. It's not like a, a gospel presentation other than when we welcome people with the hospitality of Jesus in our life, we're presenting the gospel to them. So everyone that comes on to the land of grace, which is what we like to call this property that God has blessed us here with, we wanna demonstrate the hospitality of Jesus and present the gospel to them. That's why it's important that our church family is there because it is a ministry event and be praying with us. It'll be filled with tons of kids and fun all over the place. And one of the things that we love about kids, and you don't have to have kids to appreciate this, is they ask hilarious questions all the time. They also ask sometimes very insightful questions because they will just speak out whatever they're thinking. Classic example, where do babies come from? That's one. We've all been there. Are we there yet is a classic one. I heard a kid ask the other day, do ants fart? And I was like, oh, that's a great question. I have no idea. And if they do, what is it? So I'm going to read some funny tweets with questions from kids to help set up this sermon where we're talking about some critical questions. My daughter asked me what cartoons I used to watch. I told her, Courage the Cowardly Dog. She watched an episode and told me I had a rough childhood. (laughs) My son asked me if the letter W starts with D and I can't stop thinking about it. It's a good question. My kid asked why I'm up for it and I'm down for it have the same meaning and my attempt at an answer frustrated both of us. Great question. Today, I had ACDC's Thunderstruck, an old rock and roll song in case you're wondering, on in the car. My daughter asked if it was Elmo singing. (laughs) I sort of get why she's saying it, and I could not stop laughing. Kids speak it like it is. Kind of sounds like Elmo. My daughter asked me recently while I was getting ready why I wear makeup. I heavy sighed and said to help me look less tired. Without missing a beat, she goes, are you done? Um, yep, what do you think? Maybe you need some more. You still look really, really, really tired. (laughs) That's what kids do for us, praise the Lord. Um, According to Stephen Knapp, there are three core philosophical questions in life. Where did we come from? Is there life after death? And what is the meaning of life? S. Houdman adds to that, who am I? What's my purpose? And does God exist? If he does exist, who is he, what is he like, and how do I reach him? And in today's text, we're reading one of the most fascinating and informative encounters with Jesus in history that addresses some of these core questions. We're doing this series called Believe through the whole Gospel of John. We're starting chapter three today. The title is Born of the Spirit, 
and I'm starting each sermon by reading the entire text. So we're gonna read through the first 21 verses of John chapter three. You can turn there in your Bible, or you can look at this one screen. Uh, I apologize, we thought we'd have the, the new projector because this one died on us last week, but everything's in back order still from COVID. Have you guys experienced that? And apparently projectors are in the same ballpark. Hopefully it's gonna arrive this week and we'll get it up. But right now we're all, we're all looking this way if you don't have it in your hand. Starting in verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So Lord, we humbly come before you this morning and we sit at your feet, great teacher, and we ask for you to bring actual change and transformation to the deepest places of our heart, we pray, through your word. Help us to hear and understand what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in verse one, we see that this is a story about a Pharisee who is in the middle of the night seeking out this Jesus who is shaking things up in the world. And it's important to get some of this context to really understand what's happening here. The Pharisees at that time, this is before the New Testament. This is in the Old Testament. So Jesus has just started his earthly ministry. He's a young man. And the Pharisees were the religious rulers of that day. They would have been considered the conservative religious mind of the culture holding to the entire Old Testament, 
hoping for the promised Messiah. They believed a Messiah was gonna come, but pay attention to this. This is so fascinating to understand this context. The Pharisees thought they would be the ones to recognize Jesus and like make the announcement because they have been pointing the people to hope for this. And they thought that the Messiah would exalt them as the righteous of Israel. But then Jesus comes on the scene and does things quite differently than that. He actually confronts them, in some cases, publicly denounces what they are doing, so they are threatened by Jesus. Now, it's important to note that Jesus was not changing anything that was in the law given through Moses. He never broke that law, but what he did stand against quite a bit was what would have been considered the tradition of the elders, which this is what humans do. We get truth from the Lord, and it's pure, and it's helpful, and then we kind of codify it and build all kinds of like man-made systems and extra things based on our interpretation, and then we subject people to those, right? We do a measure of this in our own culture right now, and we should put our own selves under the magnifying glass for self-reflection. In this case, one example is when God said, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's the command, that's the law. But by the time the religious leaders of the day interpreted it and codified it, it was 24 chapters with all kinds of details that had nothing to do with what God was even saying. Things like you're only allowed to walk this distance on the Sabbath day. And Jesus frustrated these so much because the Pharisees who probably for many of them, well-intentioned, had devoted their lives to the law. They devoted their lives, and they believed that they could become righteous through the law, and Jesus was just frustrating this whole system. So he was a major threat to the religious and political powers that be, and yet this leader, Nicodemus, is sneaking off in the night to seek Jesus and to ask him questions. And we understand why by what he says in verse two, Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Radical statement. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And I just wanna start by encouraging you with number one in your notes. Like Nicodemus, go to Jesus and pour out your heart. I love the invitation in scripture repeatedly to pour out our heart to God. Ask him whatever question is on your mind, the deepest things that have been brewing in there that are hard to even access apart from a lot of self-reflection and the really surface level questions. Go to Jesus. That's what I call being an honest seeker and pour out your heart. And that's what Nicodemus was doing. And we see Jesus reply in verse three, truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, we've heard this statement, if you've been around church for a while, this idea of being born again, and perhaps there's some of you here that have not heard that. We're gonna dive into what that means. In this case, Nicodemus has never heard anything like this. And Jesus, with this statement, essentially destroys the lifelong pursuit of every Pharisee. He's saying your strategy to attain God is not going to work. It's actually not about keeping the law. It's about being born again. And so this is good news. As Nicodemus is pouring out his heart to Jesus, number two, Jesus speaks directly to the condition of your heart. Have you noticed that? So when I read those 21 verses at the beginning of this service, we're all listening to the same word of God being publicly spoken. 
but all of us are so different in our journeys and in our wiring and with what God is doing in our heart that Jesus will speak different things to every single one of us based on the condition of your heart. Isn't that great news? He will speak to it. Now, in this case, it was a confrontation. He is saying to Nicodemus, you are not understanding what it is to enter the kingdom because, number three, Nicodemus had the wrong idea about how to enter the kingdom of God. I think of this as a beautiful picture of what God does in our lives over and over again because it it takes humility to admit this. Hopefully, you're here with me. We all get wrong ideas about how we are relating to God in our lives right now. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah? We all get things that we start thinking. Rochelle mentioned it earlier in her prayer during worship. Perhaps there's just some some pervasive lie that we're believing about ourselves or something or even about God that God wants to confront when we become an honest seeker. And it's good news that he does that for us. We should get more and more to the place where we delight in the correction of the Lord. If you want to have right thoughts, you must delight in his correction. That's what's happening with Nicodemus and Jesus. And one point of clarification for this whole story, when we use the phrase kingdom of God, it's interchangeable with heaven. So attain the kingdom of God, enter the kingdom of God, or get into heaven, or have eternal life are really used synonymously in this story. And Jesus is is starting to prophetically speak to Nicodemus to let him know it's not about the rules, it's about new birth. And it's been appropriately said, the gospel is not about bad people becoming good, it's about dead people being brought to life. And Jesus is prophetically speaking that into Nicodemus, and this happens with us too. Nicodemus' answer is beautifully childlike. That's why I started with those funny stories. How can someone be born when they are old? And he then even describes the illogical nature of the statement to Jesus. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Doesn't that sound like a six-year-old question? And that's not looking down on it. That's beautiful. He is seeking Jesus with childlike faith. And he has no idea what Jesus means when he says you must be born again. He literally says, what, are we supposed to shrink back up and get back in our mother's stomach? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? Is that what this kingdom is about? He's thinking of natural, of spiritual things in the natural. And Jesus begins to explain in verse five, very truly, I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit, which, which may have further confused Nicodemus. So now it's born again, it's water, it's spirit. And then he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit, which is pretty clearly saying all of us, including Nicodemus, were born through our mothers. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And he is saying there is a second birth that must take place for us to enter the kingdom of God. It is the birth of the spirit in us. Jesus is clarifying this and says in verse seven, you should not even be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So number four in your notes is you must be born again, born of the spirit. You could read it to yourself. I must be born again. I must be born of the spirit. And that's the word Jesus used, must. He goes on in verse eight, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So 
when we're having like tornado watches and warnings here, which are still like new for, for my family, the locals just make fun of my family because every time there's a warning or anything going on, all of my wife and all my kids are on this website, Severe Nash. Anybody else follow that? And he just follows storms and, and we're like hiding in the bathroom and we're, we take it very seriously. Anybody else with me? One. One. I know locals don't even listen to it. They just, they just go out. And one person told me, yeah, I've, I've like grilled in my backyard in the middle of a tornado morning. And I'm like, what? I will be alive and I will see you in heaven in 40 years. So when, when we have weather like that and we look outside and we've had some remarkable weather in the, in the number of years since we've been in this area, um, we might say it's windy, but we actually can't see the wind. What we see is the results of the wind. And Jesus is illustrating this kind of incredible mystery of being born of the Spirit with this. And the question today is, are you born of the Spirit? I don't know if you are, and it's not for me to judge that. And you shouldn't ask yourself that in a sense of condemnation or fear, but you should ask yourself. Because Jesus is saying, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. And when we see these examples in scripture of how people are born of the spirit in their relationship with following Jesus, it happens in all different ways. With some of the early disciples, he just says, come follow me. They say yes. And over the following years, they have all kinds of ups and downs with Jesus. They believe, they don't believe, they deny, they preach boldly. At some point, they have some kind of beautiful, mysterious experience where they are born of the spirit. And maybe they can't even point to one exact moment. And if that's you, that's okay. You, you, not everyone has to have a dramatic conversion like we see with Saul when he became Paul. He literally gets knocked off his horse, meets Jesus face to face, and he knows that's the moment. He's born of the Spirit, transformed his whole life, is different. I don't know what that looks like for you or doesn't look like for you, but if, you, if you're unsure about that, I think it's good to sit in the tension and ask God, am I born of the Spirit? Am I born again? Because if you're not, it's that tension that leads us to become an honest seeker of God. You can actually sit in church services. You can even serve in ministry for years and years and years and kind of be going through motions and have kind of an honest faith and say you're a Christian, but just be kind of going through it. It's kind of up here. It's not really in the heart. And that's exactly how I was. I was a pastor's kid in church. I was born in a pew, basically, almost literally, you know, in, when my parents were in seminary, and I've just always been in church. I knew everything to say. I could impress anyone with my biblical knowledge from the time I was in, like, second grade, just because I was around it. I was in Bible quiz. Anybody remember Bible quiz? I would compete with other people about scripture memorization, and I would get awards and prizes, and yet it wasn't until I was a teenager that I was born of the Spirit, and I'm sure of that. Now, I'm not saying this is fear-based, like, oh, if I would have died when I was seven, I would have gone to hell. Personally, I don't think that at all. I think that God knows those who are his and my heart belonged to him and I was going after him. But at the same time, my dad at one point had to confront me when I was 16 years old. It felt harsh to me, but he did it very gently. No matter how gentle someone confronts you, to you, it feels harsh because you're getting confronted. And I had a youth pastor who was trying to make me a leader in our youth ministry. And my dad was observing this. He was uh, you know, a pastor at this church and he was a very encouraging, letting me develop my own faith kind of uh, guy in his philosophy of parenting and my mother as well. But he knew that I was not ready to be a leader in the youth ministry because he knew I wasn't walking with the Lord. He knew 
that I had no love or passion for Jesus, even though I was in a punk rock band and wrote songs about Jesus all the time, right? So you can be doing that. And shout out for punk rock, anybody? No, okay. You don't have to leave the church. I, it's, it is, anyway. I can show you our old recordings if you ever wanna hear it. I was thinking about Jesus all the time, but did not yet know him. And my dad came into my room one day, I'll never forget it. And he just, I don't remember exactly what he said. It just felt like a punch to the stomach to me. It was basically like, I know you're not ready to be doing this. So you either need to tell the youth pastor that, or I'm going to tell him. I was like, what? Who are you? That was my first response. What? How can you possibly say that? This is not the love of Jesus. But it, it put me in that healthy tension of asking, oh, maybe there's more to this. That's a good tension. Maybe there's more to this. Maybe there's something that God is calling me to that I have not yet tasted. And for the first time in my life, in a comprehensive way, I became an honest seeker of God. So it is not a place where you feel guilt or or fear. It is a place of, of invitation and stirring. And if you're there today, pursue it. Pursue it. If you're like, man, I don't know about all this, just pursue it. Become an honest seeker. I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you through this. This is how we become born of the Spirit of God. And the principle is this. You can't see the work of the Spirit in someone's heart, but you can see the results of the work of the Spirit in someone's heart. Tracking with me? That's why he used that illustration of the wind. And the results of the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is a good start. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit is a good start. So we have those things that are fruit, and then we have gifts and ways that he wants to move through us in power and actually make himself known to us and those around us. These are results of the work of the Spirit. Nicodemus is still confused, and he says, how can this be? I would love to really know what's going on in his mind in this moment. How can this be? And then Jesus said, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And so Jesus is noticeably there a little frustrated. He he calls him you people. (laughs) Anytime someone says you people, they're a little frustrated. And he he calls Nicodemus, you people are not believing because Nicodemus is supposed to be the teacher, He's the spiritual leader, and he's not understanding these fundamentals of the faith that Jesus is talking to him about. And then he, he gives this powerful statement in verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That verse gets looked over quickly because it can be confusing. Remember the time that Jesus spoke this. It is before he has gone to the cross and resurrected from the dead. It is before the onset of the age of grace and the new covenant. It is the end of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And he is saying, no one, Nicodemus, yourself included, has ever attained righteousness through observing the law. No one's ever gotten this right. And he's saying only one has gone into heaven, me, the son of man who came from heaven. So he's saying again to Nicodemus, the strategy of a Pharisee will never work. And that's a good confrontation to receive from Jesus. And number six in your notes, you can't get into heaven through the law. If you think of a mountain and God is at the top of the mountain or the pinnacle goal of life, peace, shalom, nirvana, transcendence, whatever any person or religion or seeker would call it, the top of the mountain is the goal. 
All throughout history, mankind has tried to figure out ways to climb that mountain. How do we get to the top? In our kind of Christian subculture that many of us live in now, we can easily do the same thing. And we just say things like, oh man, how do I get to the top of the mountain and attain blessing from God? How do I get more of God's favor on my life? How do I get up there and experience open doors like so-and-so and so-and-so? How do, I, how do I get there? But, but it can quickly just become the exact same condition of humanity that we've always been in. We're trying to attain it. And every religion in the world except Christianity and even every secular philosophy, to, I mean, I won't go into it now just because of time. They are trying to get there, get to the right state of mind, meditate long enough that you can train your mind in this new way every single day so that you can get to the top. There's only one system of life and it's Christianity where God says, I'm gonna put flesh on myself and I'm gonna go down to the bottom of the mountain and get you. That's the gospel. There's nothing else like it. It is the only system like that. And here's Nicodemus encountering God in the flesh who is there to get him. And it frustrates our pride in a sense because it says there is no way to get to God apart from just saying yes to the work that he has already done by grace through faith. This is promised to us again in Romans 3.20 about how the law we will not be saved through it. And this is a good one to memorize. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one will ever be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You should hear that as good news because it means don't try to attain perfection through the law. Don't put yourself under that burden. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Scripture is so clear the, the spirit of the word on this is that the law's highest intention is to reveal to us sin, to show us ourself. And by that, we become dependent on Jesus. So how do I get to heaven? Jesus is saying, you must be born again. And to further explain, Jesus uses a scripture that he know, Nic- knows Nicodemus knows, but you might not be familiar with it. I'll tell it to you in a couple minutes and then we're gonna close. But in verse 14, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So this is referencing the book of Numbers. People were grumbling against Moses, which scriptures talks about how God hates grumbling and complaining. And people were getting sick. And all of a sudden there was this system where they were to look at a snake on a pole that's made of bronze and they would not die. They would be healed. Interestingly, Our current medical industry, that's where they get their symbol. Have you seen that symbol of the snake? If you've ever wondered what that is from, this is the story it comes from. It's a strange story, but it is symbolic and it is a future picture of the gospel that we now understand. The bronze that it is made out of in scripture represents judgment and cleansing, both judgment and cleansing. And the snake represents sin all throughout scripture. And so when they looked at the snake, They saw a picture because of the bronze and the fact that it was a snake of their own sin. First of all, there's my sin. They saw a picture of judgment on that sin and a picture of cleansing over that sin. And it is speaking to ultimately what Jesus says here is just like that, the son of man, I must be lifted up. This is gonna be ultimate salvation so that 
that picture helps Nicodemus understand what ultimate salvation and healing through Jesus is gonna be. So when we see Jesus on the cross, we see our sin, which he takes upon himself, why he's there, our sin cast upon Jesus. And we also see, just like what the bronze represents, the judgment of God upon our sin, now given to Jesus and the cleansing from God, washing away our sin. Do you see the prophetic picture? All that is in that one little verse. And then it leads up to the verse that we always quote, and it's the most popular verse in scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You have eternal life through believing in Jesus. This is how we are born of the spirit. Now, believing in our culture, the word believe has been greatly minimized. This is not kind of what has been called easy believism, where it's just like, oh, I believe it, or whatever. If you believe something, if, if it is in you to the core, this belief is placing all my hope, faith, and trust in this Jesus, this good news, this salvation. It becomes that which your whole life is oriented around. And Jesus goes on to clarify, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I love this. We do not condemn the world. We share good news. So the pressure is off from you feeling like you need to condemn anyone. Take a deep breath. You never have to condemn a person in your life. It is not your job. It is not even why Jesus came. He came to save the world. So we, we present the good news. We lead people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the work of God in their life, which we can't even see because it's like the wind, but we can see the result of it. And like the wind, we are actually powerless to make it happen. It is by God's grace, it's by his sovereignty, it's by his goodness. Who knows? It's a great mystery, but we can trust him. We do not condemn the world, we share the good news. And then he clarifies, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. People can condemn themselves, but we don't condemn them. And then he concludes the whole thing in verse nine. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And before you think that this is just talking about someone else, this is talking about us. This is what sin is. When we do evil, we hate the light because we do not want to be found out. Anybody with me? This is us. This is human condition. This is not that person that annoys me. This is not that crazy person. This is not that politician. This is us. Preach the gospel to yourself. The closer you get to God, the more you see how far away without him you are. But then here's the incredible news. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So to live by truth is to come to the truth, which Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Truth is a person named Jesus. To live by that truth is to go to Jesus and in doing that, bring yourself into the light. And then it may be seen plainly that what you have done has been done in the sight of God. And that includes the sin, it includes the evil, but in Christ, we are justified and it is washed away. And so I love this number nine. In Christ, you no longer fear being exposed by the light 
because you are justified in the sight of God. I've heard it explained, and I believe it's theologically true. The word justified is just as if you never did it. Just as if you never took part in those evil deeds. So this is the good news of the gospel. We all have that fear of being exposed. That's what it is to be a sinner. But we don't have to have that fear anymore because we live by the truth and we bring ourselves into the light. And what would normally lead to great shame and expose all the evil and darkness in the depths of our hearts turns into glorious freedom because he washes over us by by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus through what he did on the cross. And it is just as if we never sinned. And that you need to preach yourself to every day. Preach it to yourself every day, the gospel. Live into that reality. Are you guys tracking with me? This is good news. And that statement that he made in verse 13 that not a lot of people talk about, no one has been to heaven except for that which came from heaven, the son of man. It further emphasizes what the gospel really is. Only one person has ever lived righteously, Jesus. Only one has ever lived in holiness, Jesus. And what we are doing when we are born of the spirit is scripture's clear. We are giving him all of our sin, shame, and guilt, and we are putting on what? His righteousness, his holiness, the one who lived holy. Therefore, we go into heaven. Therefore, we enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, we have eternal life because we have believed on his name. This is great news. This is the gospel. So I pray that you'll receive it this morning Wherever you are, you might be walking with God for 30 years, just preach it to yourself again. Or if it's your first time, say, I wanna be born again. Just pray it in your heart. God, I wanna be like Nicodemus. Even if my questions sound like little kids, I wanna ask you my questions and pour out my heart. Let's have the team come up. Will you pray with me, church? Lord, we give you thanks for your word to us. It is such life, it is such hope, even when it is confronting us. And if anyone here feels confronted, Uh, by this, I pray that they would see that as a good thing and that it would stir them to become an honest seeker because there is more. There is more than than Christian culture motions. (laughs) There is a transformation of life. There is a call into the life of Jesus Christ that I believe you are giving to people here this morning. I believe there are those here that are, that are hearing this in a specific moment in their life that will mark them and change them forever. That is the power of your word. And so I pray that they will receive it, deal with it honestly, and, and, and like Nicodemus, wrestle back and forth with you, the living God, about what this means as they seek to know you. We thank you for this great salvation. We thank you that as we receive your love, we don't need to to worry about condemning anyone around us. We're not the judge and the jury of the world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So God, let us take that to heart and forgive us for times when when we kind of put ourselves on a self-righteous pedestal. When we're tempted to pray like a Pharisee, thank you that we're not like them. Thank you that we don't look or act like that. Forgive us for these things and remind us what it is to love and lay down our lives for others around us that you love, that you care for. Teach us to share with them the good news. May that be the primary thing that burns in our heart to share. And we give you thanks today for your faithfulness to us. Church, let's just 
search our own hearts, spend time in his presence as we sing this song again. You guys can lead us. Come on, church. Let's just thank God for that this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you you've invited us into your house. We thank you for this freedom, Lord. We thank you for inviting us into new birth, new life, new hope. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna pray this benediction over us. We'll be dismissed. If any of you want to talk about any of that, just hit me up. I'd love to pray with you. Um, you can connect with me or any of our leaders. Oscar's up here and others are around. Um, I'll pray this benediction and we'll be dismissed. May the almighty God, our creator, awaken in you a wonder and awe as you consider his unceasing nature. May the reminders of God's love all around you lead you to walk as one who knows whose image you bear, reflecting that love into the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great afternoon.